0: Live from the Great White North, this is The Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Today is August 24th, 2021. I'm Braden Dennis, as always, joined by Simon Belanger. And we have another Earnings Roundup episode for you today we got five canadian names simon's going to come out with the canadian names and i got five us names keep it uh keep it equal there we got all kinds of different industries we got fast food we got pets we got retail we got everything for you what's going on simon are you burnt out from laying sod in the backyard yet
1: uh no i'm still feeling good when mountain biking yesterday so uh just feeling good and i should should be uh, pretty sharp, even though I'm no longer on vacation.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's pretty hot out there, so we feel for you. Uh, speaking of home renovation and, and work in the backyard, we got two names relevant to that out of the gate here, especially with good old Canadian Tire. They reported recently, Simon, do you want to give a roundup on that?
1: Yeah, they had a record quarterly e-commerce sales of $856 million. Revenue increased 23.9% year-over-year year to $3.91 billion. Um, let's keep in mind this is a good example of the base effects last year, and I had mentioned on a podcast where there were challenges with their websites. So it really looks like they've uh, they've improved that in a significant way. They had large increases in sales for all their retail segments, so for those of you not aware, that includes Canadian Tire, Sports Check, Marks Warehouse, Heli Hansen, and their gas stations, which is Gas Plus. They had net income of $259 million, earnings per share of three sixty-four, well $3.64 versus a loss last year, and they announced a dividend of a dollar and 17 cents per share. Um, So overall, it really looks like a solid quarter for Canadian Tire. um, And sounds like they've rebounded quite well from uh, the pandemic.
0: Yeah, you know what? We knocked them pretty hard in Q2 of last year because they just weren't prepared. We talked so much about when the pandemic hit, companies that had been preparing for an omni-channel experience with retail Uh, in store and through their e-commerce channels those companies who were prepared and already building out some of that technology excelled and had some of their best numbers ever and companies that were laggards to it really got hurt because they just weren't prepared for it so it looks like they've picked up their game so we'll give it to Canadian Tire here good for them Um, I'm just reading this here Helly Hansen. that's part of the Canadian Tire brand and I completely forgot about that. They make they make great equipment. So if you're if you're a skier or a snowboarder, you're well well familiar with their stuff. So um, yeah, there's there's other brands in there too, right? Like you forget they do sport jacket and Marks Work Warehouse. So things look to be uh, positive for them. Speaking of a business in the retail space that is continues to just be on fire, is Home Depot. Revenues were up eight point one percent to forty one billion dollars. Uh, this was the first time they crossed the $40 billion mark in sales in a quarter. Uh, so this is a record sales quarter for them. Earnings per share were up 12.7%. They consistently grow the dividend at least 10% a year. Sometimes they grow the dividend up to like over 30% per year. And uh, so just to give you an example, they paid a $1 per share dividend in 2012, and now they pay a $6 per share dividend for the year. So, uh, classic compounder, this business, I was looking on a, a, a chart of their 10-year return on invested capital, and this business like pretty much always has 30% high 20% return on invested capital, growing in earnings per share at 20% uh, over the last 10 years, Compound annual growth rate. This is a retail business done right, uh, is Home Depot. And... Man, they just keep compounding and it's a really, really well run company.
1: Yeah. And from experience, I've ordered uh, quite a few times now with doing, like I mentioned, some backyard stuff. Um, and for the most part, I've done pickup and sometimes they'll offer items online that you can't buy in store but they'll actually ship it in store so it's really seamless they've done quite well i am a shareholder of home depot and uh, very happy to hone them and uh, definitely if you're looking a bit more for growth though home depot is probably relying more on organic uh, growth for their stores whereas you have uh, a Lowe's, for example they'll probably be growing a bit more with new store openings Um, i haven't looked into Lowe's all that much but just uh, food for thought anyone looking to to get exposure to that industry. And now uh, we'll do another Canadian name, Freshy. Uh, so, Freshy reported revenues of 5.63 million. That's an increase of 57% year over year. Net loss of 626,000, which was slightly less than last year. They were still free cash flow negative to the tune of $690,000. As of June 27, 2021, they had 38 million in cash 40 million last year. And Freshie was really impacted by COVID 19. Um, when I was looking through their earnings, management still said that with COVID 19, it's still quite challenging to their operations. They had 95% of their stores open as of June 27, 2021. But again, that's very dependent on where COVID goes. If there's new variants that show up aside from Delta, and we're already seeing what Delta is doing south of the border, but um, yeah, management just reiterated that and. uh, couldn't find any guidance going forward, which makes sense. And for those of you who were wondering if it's more of a, a company-owned store model or franchise model, um, they do get most of their revenue, so $5 million from franchisees and the balance 628 k or so uh, from its company-owned store. So it's still a very small business too.
0: This is such a frustrating story to me. They come out it's this founder led business It's this fast serve restaurant model that is serving all the things that people you know all the millennials are gonna love, which is healthy salad bowls, burritos and uh like smoothies. you know it's a great idea. The branding's brilliant uh they have these like moss grass walls uh with the subway tiles on the on the stores everything is just perfect this thing is going to explode they come on the TSX they they go public and they have all these growth trajectories and plans to open all these stores investors go great this is this is a perfect story this is a perfect product market fit for fast serve restaurants well what happens The business, from a unit economics perspective, kind of sucks, and they didn't hit any of those growth trajectories, and now they are actually net closing stores. So frustrating to me, man, because this is ripe. The market is ready for Freshie, and they just can't get it done. I don't know what it is. I've had hot takes on it being a potential takeout target. Uh, This IPO has been an absolute disaster I think it IPO'd at like 14 bucks. It trades for 2 bucks today. It's just so disappointing. It seemed like it had perfect product market fit, an innovative founder, good franchise model, and I can't figure out why it can't succeed.
1: Yeah, and I have uh, like a personal anecdote with for them. About 10 years ago, I tried them for the first time, and uh, my experience was quite, I mean... I agree with all of the things you said, but I found that for the price, it was really expensive and their store was actually located right next to Ottawa U campus. So I found it expensive even though I had a full-time job. So can you imagine some of the students that are living on a limited budget? I can see them just saying like, okay, you know what? This is nice, but I'm just going to go to Subway and pay half the price, right?
0: Yeah. At the same time though, like, You you'll get one of those bowls, and it'll be like nine bucks. If you add chicken, it'll be like maybe twelve bucks. Now I don't see that as a outrageous price point, but another personal anecdote for me is every time I get a salad bowl or a burrito bowl, the size varies so different based on location and whoever makes it. So I don't know if it's a training problem, but sometimes my bowl is a quarter full. Sometimes it's full to the brim. I can't even open the thing. You know, I prefer that if I'm hungry, but you know what I mean? It's like, why is there such this varying experience franchise to franchise? And and that is not good when it comes to a franchise model in the quick serve restaurant business.
1: Yeah, good point. I guess we'll see how go how low it goes or if they turn things around going forward.
0: I hope they turn it around. It seems like the perfect millennial fit. All right, moving on. Company called Petco. Ticker, woof. By the way, best ticker. I think it's got to be. the I mean, Petco, woof, that's amazing. Revenue increased 20% year over year. Uh, revenue on our recurring subscription was up 60%. I think that's the, the main highlight number that I look at for a business like this is they're trying to be that subscription service, even if they are, you know, primarily brick and mortar retailer. Pets are a perfect business for subscriptions and, uh, they're, they're executing that. Well, the pet services segment was up 49% as they do this omni-channel experience with e-commerce and in-person retail and, and veterinarian services. They have 150 vet hospitals. Um, you know something interesting. We were just talking about Canadian Tire. I noticed that if you go to Petco's e-commerce site, you get redirected to Canadian Tire's pet food, and I was shocked by that. I was just me messing around on the internet yesterday. So clearly, there is some room for expansion outside of the U.S. with their e-commerce in general. And um, here is just an example. I was I was curious uh, because you've talked about Chewy on this podcast before many times. And Chewy is that e-commerce direct consumer pet store business. Uh, so these are some comparable numbers. So Chewy did two point one billion in sales. Petco did one point four billion in sales. Chewy's growing at thirty percent per year on sales, and Petco is growing at twenty percent. Net income wise, Chewy did twenty five million, and Woof did. Or Petco did three times at seventy-five million, and the market cap of Chewy is thirty-six billion, and the market cap of Petco is only six billion. So, you look at those numbers. I mean, growth, yeah, Chewy's growing faster, but not quite as profitable. And from a total sales perspective, it's not not crazy. I mean, it's it's but one and a half times more, but the market cap is six times Petco's. So I don't know if that's cognitive dissonance, like the market just overvaluing Chewy and undervaluing Petco, or the prospects of a direct consumer business is just so much more scalable. I don't know the answer to that, but the, the market is is telling you this.
1: Yeah, and maybe there's also the fact that um, PetSmart owns a majority stake in uh, Chewy, so maybe that has something to do with it. But I really, I'm not sure. Yeah, your guess is as good as mine.
0: Yeah, no, I'm just laying out the uh, the comparison and, and showing the the huge disconnect in valuations between something that might be sexy versus something that's brick and mortar.
1: Yeah, yeah, good point. So now to our next name, Nutrien. Nutrien is actually the uh, former Potash Company of or Potash Corp. They merged with Agrium uh, a couple years ago, and now they're obviously known as Nutrien. So Nutrien is is a Canadian fertilizer company. They're based in Saskatoon. It's the largest largest producer of potash and the third largest producer of nitrogen fertilizer in the world. Uh, The outlook, what they mention is that the outlook for global crop and fertilizer market continues to be very strong, and they're positioned to benefit from their structural advantages as a global leader in that space. They've increased their full 2020 year outlook for their adjusted EBITDA, guidance by over 1.5 billion, and it was supported in part by their quick action to produce an additional 1 million tons of potash, illustrating the power of potash um, potash teams over there and their flexibility, reliability, and low-cost six-mine network. So just a, an overview of what Nutrien is, uh, they had a really good uh, quarter, so their sales were 9.76 billion that's up 16% from last year free cash flow was 1.41 billion up 20% from last year adjusted ebitda i have trouble with that ebitda word. come on ebitda ebitda adjusted ebitda was 2.21 billion up 29% from last year cells for crop nutrients crop protection and seeds were up 20 percent nine percent and seven percent respectively those are their three major segments crop nutrients would be potash and nitrogen and crop protection would be things like herbicide insecticide and fungicide. so Overall, very good. I The one thing I should have looked into, but I didn't, was uh, their dividend payout. I know they do pay a dividend, so my apologies for that. But overall, a good quarter for Nutrien.
0: When it comes to a commodity producer, Nutrien is rock solid. Um, and this might be get grouped in as like a somewhat cyclical business because it is a commodity producer. And You know, maybe there is cyclicality to the commodity they produce, but the actual demand for their product is rock solid through pretty much any market cycle. So, Nutrien's a great business. This merger was smart between Potash and Agrim. And uh, anyone from uh, the middle of Canada knows how big and strong this business is together, Uh, especially if you're from Saskatchewan. All right, Uh, yeah, and and moving. Forward with nutrient. I mean, come on, it's a great business. The only thing that I tell you, time and time again, is I simply do not want to own commodity businesses, and uh, that's the way I do it. And uh, but but if you are a shareholder of this, this is this is a good business. Moving on to Nvidia, Nvidia, the chip designer. So revenue was up sixty eight percent. Uh, they had record gaming revenue of $3 billion, up 85%. So th- the business did $6.51 billion in revenue, and three of it was from gaming. So that's a big segment for them. Data Center was $2.37 billion, up 35%. And uh, non-GAAP net income profits was up 92%. So everything was just across the board, up a lot at least 50% on most categories. So this business is killing it. Nvidia designs chips, they own the IP and then they pretty much let Taiwan Semiconductor TSM do the contract manufacturing. They're dominating in gaming, AI, data centers and more. Uh and chip design and how the whole industry works is very fascinating and a somewhat complex rabbit hole. I've been getting into it more and more, and once you get it, it starts to click, the difference between the different companies. But if you don't feel like doing lots of di- due diligence on each one, uh, just owning an ETF that owns a basket of them may be smart, but my God, chip chip designers like NVIDIA have done so well. I mean, their stock prices are just bonkers on the last 10 years on a chart. I have heard from analysts on other podcasts and on other con calls that NVIDIA's artificial intelligence technology is years ahead of the competition for reasons X, Y, and Z for the certain categories that they serve. So if you aren't willing to do the research, an ETF that owns a basket of these things could be a good play. I think NVIDIA is the highest quality and the, the most advanced, but you're paying the highest multiple for it. You're seeing the growth uh, and you're seeing the upside long term, but it's such a good business once you realize that they just designed the chips and have these really, really high gross margins and EBITDA margins. And uh, it, it it's probably a good horse to bet on for the future.
1: Yeah. And just for, uh, for N- NVIDIA, I'm pretty sure they were one of the first companies to uh, start using machine learning too. That's probably why they're they're so far ahead is- of everyone.
0: That's right. Yeah, their their AI and machine learning uh, is just the 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 clear leader from the rabbit hole of research I've gone down on the last month or so.
1: Yeah, and it, for the uh, the GPUs, I mean, they've only. Them and uh, AMD are pretty much the only two that are in that business too. Forever, AMD bought Radeon um, a while back, and with Nvidia, they were the two main players. So, I mean, I'm not surprised to see them there, and AMD is doing quite well on their end. Too, so,
0: they've. I mean, as a group, it's been fantastic. And if if, if you want to own the group, I mean, TSM, like ticker TSM Taiwan Semiconductor, which stands for TSMC this business basically makes all the chips for the entire planet. So uh, outside of Intel. So that's that's going to be part of that basket as well.
1: Yeah. So now moving on to something a bit different, uh, or CAE, which I I have said in French because it is based in Montreal. It's a, uh, for Wait, those of d- you... Is that,
0: did that stand for something or are you just saying it in a certain way?
1: Oh, I just said the acronym uh, in French. I just wanted oh, to French, say it anyway. Okay. I, I
0: was wondering if that was an actual word and I just didn't know that because I thought I knew this name pretty well. Anyways, I digress.
1: Yeah. So uh, CAE is a, um, for those of you who are not familiar with them, is a Canadian manufacturer of simulation technology for in the aerospace, mainly modeling technology and training services for airlines, aircraft manufacturer, healthcare specialists, and defense customers. Uh, CAE has both contract with civilian aerospace and military aerospace Revenues were up 37% to 752 million. That's year over year. Net income was 47 million versus a loss of 110 million last year. Free cash flow negative once more, 147 million in the red versus 92 last year, and they had a total backlog that went down seven percent to 7.9 billion compared to last year. And their CEO Marc Parrain, did mention something interesting regarding their uh, their outlook going forward. We expect continued strong year-over-year growth in fiscal year 2022 as recovery takes hold in our. And markets we integrate our recent acquisitions and ramp up our cost-saving initiatives the slope of recovery to pre-pandemic levels and beyond continues to depend on the timing and rate at which border restrictions can be safely lifted and normal activities resume in our end markets and in in geographies where they operate Um, So overall, again, they seem to have been quite affected by the pandemic. It'll be interested to see how it progresses uh, this year and next year as well. Um, What I can tell from uh, what the CEO said is there is still quite a bit of uncertainty just just because of the pandemic.
0: So much uncertainty. But if we look back to when this wasn't a thing, this wasn't a concern, this isn't awesome business. And I would, I would much rather play this side of the value chain than owning the airline specifically, especially with the tailwind of so many pilots need to be trained up. And who's the game in town at CAE to use their simulation technologies for people to learn how to become pilots um, and other modeling tech that they do to, to serve those airlines. So if we look back to 2019, I was this close, Simon, to buying a position in this company as as a dividend growth play. And uh, now the whole landscape looks so different, of course. But it is a strong model and it is an important part of the value chain. And, and they have a really strong position in what they do. C- Limited. We got two more here. C Limited. Yeah, for those who are unfamiliar with C Limited, they do e-commerce, fintech, and gaming in Southeast Asia. Revenue increased 159% year over year. So their video game segment, which is G Arena, had users up 45% and paying users up 85%. Their uh, e-commerce platform called Shopee, Gross merchandise volume was up 88% and their fintech total payment volume was up 150%. So it's very similar to Mercado Libre in Latin America, which is this e-commerce and fintech business in their geographic region that they serve, which is Latin America. Um, C Limited is doing it, but also with this huge gaming business in Southeast Asia uh and you know if you look at those two geographic segments you have southeast asia latin america these are locations in the world that have the fastest adoption to these digital services because they lagged behind in them and now all of a sudden they seem to be coming out as leaders and a lot of this growth has been accelerated from the, the environment we're dealing with. So this is another one of those internet companies capitalizing on secular trends in e-commerce and fintech. And uh, they're just still such a long runway for growth in these emerging markets, especially since the adoption to these services still is somewhat nascent. Uh, so C Limited is like way too good to ignore right now. I've been interested in owning shares but guess what? Tencent owns 25.6% of C, uh, which a lot of people don't know about. So there's some nice arbitrage given how Tencent is so damn cheap. I think it's up like 8% today, but it's been getting punished as the Chinese internet monopoly crackdown does continue. Tencent came. Um, Tencent did come out with earnings, and they now have a fair value of their estimate portfolio of a whopping $223 billion. I bring that up because they own such a big stake in C Limited. Uh, when it comes to C, you're paying very high entry multiples at this point, but it, it is 160 billion in market cap. So you have to ask yourself: Is there still significant opportunity? My my answer, my gut feeling is yes, uh, but you are betting on continued spectacular execution and growth. So I, I believe that to be possible. Um, the G arena, which is the gaming platform has seventy seven hundred and twenty-five million 725 million active users, which is pretty insane. Like their gaming platform, 725 million active users. So three quarters of a billion people are using that. Uh, another risk to continue con- consider with G arena. The gaming platform is their game called free fire has over 150 million daily active users. So there's a lot of concentration there, right, on the success of Free Fire. Games can come and go over time, so it's something to consider. But right now, this this business and G Arena and Free Fire are running at full tilt. So, And they've been growing for years and years to come. So maybe there might be some real staying power here.
1: Well put for C, C Limited. I don't have too much to, to add to that. I mean, you, you know the business uh, better than I do. And definitely, I own a bit of them as well through uh, Tencent. Now, we'll go on to our last company, uh, another Canadian play, a name that I'm sure everyone uh, will be familiar with. I won't need to explain what they do. So Canada Goose, um, they announced a share repurchase program of up to 10% of their current outstanding shares. Their revenues were up 115% to $56.3 Net loss of 56.7 million or 51 cents uh, per diluted share. They had global e commerce revenue increase by 80.8%. Again, I'm, this has been. Uh, there's been huge tailwinds for them, uh, like everyone else for e-commerce. They are launching footwear in the fall, and direct-to-consumer revenue was up almost three x to twenty-nine point four million. Gross profit margins jumped to fifty-four point five percent compared to eighteen point four last year. Again, it was a bit of a situation of base effects, and of course, transitioning a lot of their sales over to online would be the reason that uh, their margins increase so much i know one last thing that they announced recently is they will be i believe it's by the end of the year it could be wrong for that but they'll be removing fur from their products altogether. so it's been something they've been considering for a while and it's also been one of the main criticism of canada goose uh, for uh, you know animal activists um, and things like that so it is something they'll be doing uh, shortly
0: They've been getting crap about that as as long as I think I've been alive about the uh, the real fur they were using. I mean, these jackets they're they're pretty nice, they're pretty comfy. You're paying a pretty penny, so I'm not surprised to see that they got some pretty nice gross margins for a physical product. Now, when it comes to direct to consumer of these very expensive high margin products, that's even better for, for Goose is seeing that direct-to-consumer market increase and seeing some of that adoption like like we've talked about with other businesses is consumers are seeing that accelerated adoption to e-commerce and going directly to the brands that they care about and going right on their website. And for a company like Canada Goose and for a company like Lululemon that only sell their goods in their branded locations, consumers know to go direct to consumer to the actual website of those said businesses versus on some other marketplace or some other platform or some other retailer that sells it. I mean, the margins are just so much more advantageous to go direct to consumer on your own platform. So... A company like Goose and Lululemon are set up perfect for consumers to be to continue to accelerate that direct-to-consumer experience adoption. And uh, this business, let's not uh, kid ourselves, it matters a lot what goes on in China. That's a huge, huge market for Canada Goose is the China, mainland China loves these jackets.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's definitely a good point. And we'll just, I know they're not big tech, but of course that's always an added risk of doing business in China. It doesn't like, obviously right now they're focusing on big tech over there, but you have to keep in mind the Chinese government's always a wild card, regardless if the company is listed in Canada and the US and they're a Canadian or US based company. If they have a significant portion of their operations in China, There is always the wild card that the Chinese government could come up with a new policy, unilateral new policy, and just enforce it right away. So that's always something to to keep in mind because a lot of people will own businesses and not realize that such a significant portion of their revenues come from China. Apple is a great example. I was going to
0: say, Apple, we, we forget how many iPhones Apple sells in China and how attached at the hip that business relationship between Apple and the CCP really is.
1: Yeah, and they really, honestly, like Apple does not have much leverage there because most of their um, their merchandise, their iPhones and things like that, most of them are manufactured over there. Big parts of their supply chains are there. Plus, you add in the fact that the consumer base in China is such a big portion of their revenue. I mean, what leverage do they have with the Chinese government? Like, none. I mean, I, not much.
0: I've done some research on that relationship that they have. It is quite fascinating what Apple had to do to win over uh, the Chinese gov. So it, it is quite complex uh, and it's a little, a little shady at times, but I mean, they did what they had to do. They were able to start selling into the biggest market on the planet. So uh that was a, obviously had very important in the in the uh, the history of of Apple given that not only is it a huge consumer market but also so important for their supply chain and manufacturing all right guys that does it for this episode today is august twenty fourth We will continue to do our two episodes per week we appreciate the support so much if you haven't checked out our new website that is TheCanadianInvestorPod.com. I think I got that right. The Canadian is the Canadian Investor Podcast.com. I just typed in the URL: TheCanadianInvestorPodcast.com. It's brand new.
1: Yeah, we. Uh, I've put it in the the show notes, so if you guys are confused on what the link is, just look at the show notes.
0: I don't even know the own the URL to our own website, but you can go on see all the show notes there. You can leave us a voice message directly on the platform. So if you're on your web browser on the right side, there'll be a button called send us a voice message and then as well on your mobile device. And that'll give you a chance to write on our website, record from your phone or from your computer. If you have a good mic, we appreciate that. Uh, you have a better chance of being played on the show uh, if, the, if the sound quality is high. But uh, go ahead and check that out. We will see you on the next episode take care.
1: The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simon may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions.